Welcome to Midnight Conversations. My name is Stephen Banos. And my name is Anadin Amikaraja. You didn't try doing the reversal there, Steve. You didn't You didn't try saying your name was what it wasn't, you know? You, what, I, I'm, I'm not feeling like uh, playing pranks today. Oh. I'm feeling ready for business. I want to get into this paper. Wow. That... I feel like this is a great setup for a prank in itself. <laughs> what's what's happened to you? What has possessed what's... you today? What is going on? <laughs> I've had three coffees and I want ah. to get this going before they wear off. That's of course, <laughs> of course. No, fair How enough. How are you, man? You, you well? I am good. I am good. Also equally excited to get started into this paper. Um, mm. And uh, so i like keen to get into it. What, what did you think? Your thoughts on today's topic? We're talking about obeying orders uh, mm. and its association with brain activations towards victims' pain. Uh, any, yeah. any thoughts on to why this topic was chosen for today? Uh, are you, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where your, where your mind's at with this. Uh, it's, it's an interesting one really mm. is. I mean, empathy is such a huge, huge topic and it like has uh, personal implications and like legal things to consider mm-hmm. like that come out of, um, the, the study of empathy. Um, this, I mean, this, this study seemed like something that's been done before. Um, it seemed very similar to the Milgram experiment, but we'll get into that later, I guess. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose this? You, uh, yeah, well, on? I uh, well, I just th- I thought it was really interesting about I, I look at the look on your face says that there's uh, more to your coin. You're now unnerved as to why this topic was chosen. Yeah, just you're setting me up for something. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, let's let's give the listeners some background. Um, I mean, given that you've mentioned the Milgram experiment, do you want to run us through generally what your understanding is of that, and and maybe we can that'll be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I only looked at that like. Th- four or five, six years ago okay. um, at uni mm-hmm. in like a management course. Um, but basically what they did was they uh, got uh, a person giving orders to another person where they would administer an electric shot upon receiving that order to a victim if they got a question wrong. And then the, uh, the voltage would increase with each incorrect answer um, until they were essentially administering a lethal voltage upon receiving an order to do so. Um, and it's something like 60% of the participants actually administered like a lethal um, voltage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the outcome of that is like people are going to take orders and uh, not think for themselves, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, to some extent. I mean, the experiment was designed to try and help understand what was going on with the atrocity atrocities that happened with the whole you know nazi and hitler and all the things that happened relating to that and so it's, uh, the milgram experiment was based under the premise that our it was sort of the fundamental uh, question of are people who do bad things inherently bad or is it possibly uh, as victim of circumstance as well that uh, can lead people to engage in behaviors that maybe they wouldn't otherwise engage in. So that's where these experiments sort of originated from. That's the, where their genesis was from. And so they created situations in which you have someone in a person of power uh, demanding someone else to uh, do something that 
otherwise they would consider to be not a good thing to do. So in this case, they had a, a scientist, as Stephen just said, just, uh, you know, encouraging someone to give higher and higher doses of this electric shock. And I think they started out by they gave the person doing the experiment, they gave them a sense of the lowest form of the electric shock so that they could feel what it was like. And it was already still, yeah. it was it was still hurting a little. And even even with this knowledge of the pain induced, um, when they were able to diffuse that responsibility to say, oh, well, that experimenter told me to do it. I didn't do it off my own free will. That's where... Uh, it led to the really interesting findings that a lot of people were more often than not able to go to the end, which was the lethal, the dose which they were told beforehand would possibly in most cases kill the person as, uh, on the mm. other end of it. So yeah, pretty yeah. crazy stuff. So, so my understanding of this study is that it's kind of like that, but it's sort of just a little bit more advanced. I mean, we have things like MRIs now, so we're, we're looking at the parts of the brain that are actually being activated mm -hmm. when we're feeling a sense of empathy. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And so what this paper was showing was that there are brain regions which correlate to these behavioral uh, feelings. So what the, these authors initially said is they were like, oh, look, well, past historical events and experimental research, they've already shown that you uh, complying with orders from an authority has a strong impact on people's behavior, so much so that they can do things otherwise they wouldn't do um, but we don't really know uh, what's underlying the biological mechanisms driving these behaviors is it some change in the brain uh, when you have someone telling you to do something is that what's causing you or relating to your ability to engage in a behavior so what they hypothesized was uh, they got male and female humans to inflict a pain painful stimulation to one another individual and they measured their empathetic response and they found that it reduced when this action uh, complied with the order of an experimenter. So when an experimenter said, you know, inflict this pain on person X, uh, the person inflicting the pain, the em empathetic response reduced. They weren't they weren't feeling that compassion as a result um, or, or as much so uh, in comparison to when they were free to decide, OK, look, you know, give them pain whenever you want or however much you want. And uh, that's when they found that the empathetic response is a bit higher. So um, they observed that even in participants who knew the shock intensity delivered to the victim was exactly the same during coerced and free conditions, they rated the shocks as less painful in the coerced condition. Um, and this is purely because, as in the Milgram experiments we just went through, they found that uh, when you have this external force, it's you're less likely to feel this sense of, I don't know, burden or guilt or, or it, it, it's amazing what it unlocks. And, and the important finding in this study was that they associated with specific regions in the brain that uh, they found were fluctuating with these different conditions. So there is an actual neural pathway or mechanism behind these behaviors that we see, which is a really, really interesting finding. Um, but mm. so what were your thoughts? Uh, does this make you think about, you know, situations in which you're told to do things uh, that you, you know, it doesn't have to be as as <laughs> as uh, severe as inflicting pain on someone else. But uh, do you feel coercion, I think, is an interesting topic that comes from here? Uh, yeah, look, this is interesting. I've probably got some anecdotes about stupid things that I've done just uh, upon receiving orders from other people. Um, I guess what's interesting about this is a reduced sense of empathy based on an order means you're sort of assigning that sense of empathy to the person giving the order. You're almost giving yourself permission to feel 
less guilty or whatever because someone has given that. There's less a sense of responsibility. Which to me says that maybe we are more in control over the level of empathy than I might have originally thought. Like we can we can adjust the level of empathy that we feel in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Is that a stupid thing to take away from this? No, not at all. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, I think you're right. So empathy is okay. is variable. And it, I think it shows that uh, your condition can influence your feelings of empathy, right? So hmm. uh, it, just merely saying someone is has high or low empathy maybe isn't enough. We have to consider, well, what was their conditioning, right? So I, I think it's interesting. Like, what is the power of this in a, in the opposite context? What if you tell someone to do something good is there um, are they more inclined to do something good as a result it's e- easy to look at the alternative which is this situation where you're telling someone to do something bad and they're like oh yeah no responsibility but ca- can you give permission for someone to do something good and as a result they're more likely to have higher empathy as a result i'd be interested to look into they didn't do it in this study but i think it would be really interesting i think that's where the whole pay it forward or the idea of uh, you know just one random act of kindness i think it's really interesting to see how that um can diffuse in a population right if we were all just yeah. a bit kinder i don't know what would happen who knows mm. yeah. i mean we are all like super responsive to each other that's like part of how we've evolved to live in societies right mm. and like it's so it's so crazy um em- empathy like the whole concept is amazing if if you told me that you got like stabbed in the eye with a pencil mm. i'm imagining that happening to myself like my brain like remodels it <laughs> and then i feel what what you feel yeah that's crazy well in in and, severe mm. cases they've shown uh, that people can actually experience trauma through empathy it's like secondhand yeah. trauma so if someone if i was to explain to you an extremely traumatic event that happened to me in certain cases uh, they found uh, and it's been reported in clinical settings that you yourself may actually develop trauma even though you were you hadn't experienced what I'd experienced or you hadn't seen what I'd experienced just merely the fact that you perhaps heard and empathized strongly with that sort of experience could mm. transfer into trauma in yourself which is amazing empathy is is a very amazing thing and we look at it in a developmental setting uh, we know children struggle with empathy. It's one of the first key skills that they, you know, try to learn through their lifetime. And I think some, uh, I think it's Piaget's research, who, which was very famous and looked at um, children's ability to uh, develop empathy. And I think in their cognitive development, it was around the age of seven in which empathy starts to develop. Their ability to, you know, think of others and understand other people's perspectives, because all of these are facets of empathy. And so... It's not something that's innately there from birth, right? It's a skill that's developed through experience and practice. And, you know, arguably not all adults have best empathy, right? So it's, I think it's something that is like a muscle that needs to be, you know, exercised mm. and practiced. Yeah. So do you think it would be possible for me to train myself to have no empathy? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think so. I think, you know, it, you, you probably already have a level of empathy within you but I, I definitely think you can train yourself to reduce your feelings of empathy and I think we see that in a lot of professions where uh, high levels of empathy can sometimes be detrimental if we if we think of people who work in uh, the medical profession uh, doctors surgeons if they you know or, or even you know psychologists if they if they bring that work home with them and they are extremely empathetic to every 
patient. It, it can it can have some detrimental consequences to their well-being if they're continually thinking and ruminating on these things. So, um, you know, empathy is good and, and to a certain extent, but there's definitely situations where you're taught through your professional uh, sort of steps as to how to moderate your levels of empathy. Mm. So. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Okay, I mean, we should probably take it a bit like uh, closer back to, to this paper. Mm-hmm. Um, do you generally feel like you have free will or do you genu- generally feel as though you're acting on the instructions or expectations of others? Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a difficult question, right? Because we're to, free will is, you know, it, it's a very uh, topical point of conversation, especially now with COVID, right? Like, mm. how much free will do you have in a governmental setting where governments are able to mandate whether you stay home or not and and you know it's it says something to where that's where the boundaries between laws that are enforced versus pure free will if everyone had the ultimate free will everyone could do anything that they wanted in in the world and you know it could lead to a lot of negative outcomes which is why we have these agreed upon social structures that allow us to behave safely i can i know that you know my village won't be pillaged by like randoms. I mean, more often than not mm. than back in the day. So, you know, there, there's benefits to these social contracts that we have underlying. So do I have pure free will? Probably not, because if we did, then I don't think we would function as a society perfectly. But uh, yeah, individually, yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, within the context of what I have, yeah. Uh, yourself? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... I think it varies according to the situation. Mm-hmm. You got me thinking on, on like the on the COVID situation. If the government said, "Okay, now you're all welcome to go outside and you know spread spread the virus as you wish," mm. um, I would be I'd feel what less guilty if I transmitted the virus than yep. if I was told to stay. Oh, well, okay. It would be if the government told me, go out there and infect someone, yeah. which I would hope that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. But in the context of this paper, I guess, mm. yeah, if you have that external um, force. But I think, yeah, we, we do see that, right? When uh, governments are saying it's okay to do this or it's okay to do that, um, that is in itself sometimes a justification enough for people uh, to do as, as they please. So. Um, external factors definitely do influence people's behaviors. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes when you can defer the responsibility to someone higher up, I, I think it's always easy to hate on a manager, especially in any context, because, you know, you, your manager is making you do this or making you do that. But I think if everyone was to empathize with the manager's position, they'd realize that actually it's very, very difficult to make certain decisions. And, and you know, coming here mm-hmm. and there, that's where empathy and free will, you know, align. And so I think what's interesting here within this paper is just the fact that we, we've we always known that if you have this sort of external uh, ability to say, well, that person said that, you know, I need to do this so I can diffuse my responsibility or feelings of guilt to there. Uh, what's interesting is that there's definitely a, a neurobiological uh, change that occurs in your brain in multiple areas of your brain, which are correlating with these uh, feelings of reduced empathy. So, um, 
Yeah, I think mm. I think that's fascinating. So your brain is actually changing from that feelings of reduced guilt and responsibility. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So here, like here, here are the kind of two times where I have just sort of like taken orders without feeling any empathy right, and committed. Um, you know, uh, I've I've harmed others, and okay. you can psychoanalyze me on them. The first one is like <laughs> I was I think I was like eight years old, so yeah. developing mind. Be kind with your judgments, right? Um, but it beyond was like, beyond the age at which empathy was developed, so I think we said it was seven. So no, no reason yeah. <laughs> that you shouldn't have had empathy at this age. But I was okay. I was six and a half then. We'll okay. change the story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was when I was I was kind of assigned by the teachers to be friends with this kid who had kind of learning difficulties and mm-hmm. was a problematic student. Mm-hmm. And the first day that we'll hang out, he goes, Stephen, what we're going to do this lunchtime is we're going to take all of the lunch boxes out of their assigned lunch baskets yeah. that were like sectioned off by class. And we're going to put them into random baskets. Right. And I was like, I guess that's what we're going to do. Cool. Right. And so we spent, we spent a good 30 minutes just p- taking each lunch box out of the basket and putting it in another classroom's basket. Wow. Um, and yeah, there were, I mean, there were kids crying. They were like, where's my lunchbox? And like the teachers were coming around and they're like, what did you do? And yeah. like, we got in so much trouble. Yeah. Right. Am I, am I evil or was I just taking orders? Look, I, I don't know if I can answer that question for you. I think that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a deep question to, to answer, but I think, uh, what's more valuable is to go on to what the second example is before we start making any judgments. You said oh, there are okay. two examples, so. The second example is, is probably less bad at it, but it was um, from high school where we both went. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the, uh, it was called the Curry Masters Incident. I don't that... know. It doesn't ring a bell. Oh, it was when uh, a colleague of mine, <laughs> colleague, a, a peer of mine um, created a website mm-hmm. that was meant to be just a forum for conversation, right. um, but, you know, amongst classmates. And yes. then it very, very, very quickly turned into a, a place where we would just bully each other and uh, attack, really? stu- attack teachers and stuff. Um, and what was the website called? It was called Curry Masters. And I don't, why? I don't know how to explain why that became the name of the website. Okay. Yeah, right. And, um, and what happened? How was I left out of this? I don't understand. It, it was I think just my reason. class. It yeah, was just right. my class. Yeah. And it was it was very, very early on. It was like the first term of year seven. So we're all wow. kind of just getting to know each other. And mm-hmm. I was, I made my account upon the instruction of my friend. And then he was just like, oh, just create a forum and call it this. Yeah. And it was like... Um, so-and-so is gay. Oh, no. Right? That was the name of the forum. Um, and, yeah, I just I just remember, like, we all got suspended. Mm. And I remember sitting in front of the deputy principal and he's like, why Why did you, why did you, right, like, create this forum called, like, so-and-so, yeah. the, the, the student's name is yeah. gay. Yeah. And I, had, I just had no good answer. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. So this this was uh, the forum about me then, wasn't it? it that, that's why I was yeah. left, <laughs> left out of this situation. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> it all's coming back. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's that's interesting. I I hmm. don't know how 
I missed that in in high school. Sounds like I don't know uh, how you did either. That's quite the tra- or, or maybe the, we, the police came and they sat us all down and they lectured us on cyberbullying. Oh, I remember that. I just thought the police oh. were coming for a visit, just to lecture us on no. cyberbullying. Oh, no. oh, is it, wasn't that a standard thing at most schools? Where <laughs> police, maybe it wasn't there. But um, interesting, interesting. So, and it was yeah. that you felt like the external pressure in that situation led you to create the account and go from mm. there. Yeah. Yes, and I, I mean, I immediately felt bad. This this poor child felt like it was the victim of like people like ganging up on him on the mm. internet, which is which is terrible. But at the time, I felt nothing, and not, like now going into sort of the legal industry, it makes me think a lot about it, especially in criminal law. Um, uh, like what what's the what's the terminology? I wrote it down somewhere. Superior orders mm. is kind of a, a concept that's that's discussed heavily. It's like where someone commits a crime on the orders of someone else. Yeah, it's not a full defense, but it's like it's a mitigating factor, mm. which means it could reduce the sentence. Okay, but I I feel like there might be times where people are just just taking orders completely blindly. Yeah. Rather than having that, that I think what's interesting though thought. is I wonder whether the situations you've described are necessarily mm. uh, orders from someone who exerted power and dominance over you versus peer pressure, and and so I I wonder what the distinction mm. is there and whether you know these researchers I think were looking specifically in the context of where there is one person who has significant power over someone else, so an experimenter yes. or. Uh, in in that ca- case, you're someone new coming into a context, but I I don't know exactly the research on peer pressure relating mm-hmm. to the brain, but I wonder whether it would have similar effects. I'm not sure, um, but it yeah, is. I mean, I mean, I th- I feel like there's be a, there's a very slight distinction between mm-hmm. peer pressure and and authority because yeah. generally you follow the peers that you sort of idolize, look up to, or you think they're the more popular people. So. Mm-hmm. So, um, so given this then, and given your history with your experience with this sort of co- feelings of coercion and uh, diffusion of responsibility, uh, mm. what are your thoughts on on this paper and and its implications for, I guess, your life or your future or your perspective? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Do you want me to tell you what to I think? Guess, is, I, that, I, is that what's what's I, needed here? Uh, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I don't know, because I don't. I mean, should I come away thinking I should be more critical of my own thinking and behavior? Should I be more skeptical of authority? Maybe, maybe that's a good takeaway. I don't want to overthink everything I do. That seems bad. No, no. What do you think I should take away from this? Tell me that. What I, I, what I take away from this. uh, Feel free to think it yourself or not. Is that. (laughs) It's uh, the idea of responsibility and diffusion of, res- of responsibility. So uh, I think, you know, people inherently have this sort of moral compass of what's right or wrong. But I think what's interesting from this research and even what's been shown well before is that our ability to feel empathy can also fluctuate based on conditions and context so if you're in a context where someone says ah don't worry about it you know it's okay don't worry it'll be all right to do that bad thing your empathetic response can change as a result so i I guess my takeaway is is maybe have some trust in your initial empathetic response because understand that it can change over time based on what those around you say and you know it's easy to get carried away and go down a rabbit hole of 
not so good decision. So yeah, my takeaway would be listen to your initial empathetic response and uh, yeah, also wonder if you have, like I said earlier, if there is a positive feedback loop that can happen where if you do something good, does that lead others to do good things opposed to negative things, you know? So um, like if I'm extremely empathetic, does that make you by diffusion also more empathetic as well? Um, Especially if I give you permission to be empathetic i don't know but uh, i think it's interesting to see you know can this have social impact that's super positive i don't know yeah no that's that's a great message the ripple effect is pretty real so just be mindful of the uh the the things that you're putting out into the world that's it Mm. awesome and uh in saying that i think we're done Stephen. now uh steven did you have a a musical number for us to finish on today or what's Uh, the go i mean i i did do you want do you want to sing and i'll play uh, i mean i don't know (laughs) i i think i sung and played last time so i wasn't It. No, excellent, <laughs> excellent. I think, I think, I think a musical number to take us out each time is uh, is a, is a good way to end the episodes. I don't know All how right. sustainable it is, but I think we should get. No, it well, I'll, I'll just I'll improvise something random at the end of each episode. Excellent. Then. Looking forward. Done. To yes, that's good. <laughs> and we should have intro music for your improvisations. I think I think that's, that's necessary too. But in saying that, I uh, hope you Sounds enjoyed good. this episode uh, and uh, let us know your thoughts on obeying orders and what you thought of this paper. Um, in, in saying that. Stephen, where can they uh, ask us questions and find out more? Yeah, hit us up. Our email address is midnightconversationspodcast at gmail.com. You can mm-hmm. find us on Twitter and Midnight Conversations Podcast, Facebook, same thing. Twitter, I said Twitter. Yep. What was, what's the other thing? TikTok. I was going to say Tinder. We're not on Tinder. <laughs> we're not on so. Tinder. Uh, but if we were, TikTok. hopefully people would uh, view us favorably. What is it? Swipe right or swipe, swipe right? Swipe right. Swipe right. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> you can tell he's not on it when they say view us favorably <laughs> instead of swiping direction. Um, thanks for that, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> see ya.